Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries. Welcome to Jewish Awareness Podcast, a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. On Friday nights at our headquarters, we host a Bible study. Generally, we do verse-by-verse studies of different books of the Bible. These studies can be viewed live through the JAM Facebook live stream platform on Fridays. If you have questions or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org. Email us at office at jewishawareness.org or call us at 919 919- Two seven five four four seven seven. Enjoy the Bible study. We're going to be actually in uh, the first two verses of Hebrews chapter twelve. That was a, a mistake in the uh, on the very top there. So we're going to uh, Hebrews eleven thirty two through twelve one. Now what we do, what we're going to look at tonight as we come to this, is the writer of this book, Hebrews. Uh, summarizes now many other individuals about how they live victoriously through their faith in the Lord. There's a reminder, though, that faith, because there's an abrupt change, if you will, that we'll get to, uh, biblical faith certainly can work miracles, or, or maybe not miracles is the word I'm looking for, victories in our life. But uh, biblical faith can get us through the difficult times as well. And so it's not always peaches and cream, if you will. It's not always good stuff. Sometimes we've got to deal with uh, the trials of life, the difficulties of life, and, and God can get us through there. We need to trust him in that. So the first two verses of chapter 12 encourages us to be faithful in light of all those who have gone before us, meaning Hebrews chapter 11 and what we've been looking at, reminding us, those first two verses, that if we are to be faithful, our focus must be not on our situation, not on the person next to us, but our focus must be on Jesus. So it starts out, and and we're going to get through this first page rather quickly. Um, Verse 32, what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to, to tell of, of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets. Now, I've put uh, the passages where you would find uh, information on these different individuals, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel. The prophets, those are individuals such as Elijah, Elisha, Nathan, Ezekiel, Jonah, Daniel, you'll find them all throughout the Word of God, different prophets. So when we're talking about biblical faith, it's not just, and certainly when we think of, uh, of a Samson, of a David, of, uh, you know, these are, to many of us, I guess, um, amazing people. But they're really no different than we are. So we have all those chapters, and, and the, the faith, that they uh, exercised in God and the victories that God gave. He then goes in verse 33, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, 
Well, when you talk about subduing kingdoms, oh, you could talk about Joshua, the judges, and, and David, Hezekiah, for example, in subduing kingdoms. Uh, people who wrought righteousness, Elijah, on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal, and uh, for God's sake, Josiah, you could look at that, who obtained promises, Caleb, uh, believed in the promises uh, of God and, and the promised land. Uh, stop the mouth of lions. You know, you can think of a couple of, uh, at least one individual who stopped the mouth of lions, Daniel, uh, through faith. Now, God was the one who did it, obviously, but Daniel or, or Samson, David, uh, Benaiah. So, you know, it, it talks about these uh, things that took place. <clears throat> we can only speculate if there's all of these people in mind, one of these people in mind, uh, whatever, regardless. Then it goes down in verse 34. Quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Well, quenched the violence of fire, uh, Moses, Ananiah, Mishael, Azariah, which most of us know those as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We'll have to write a song with those names. But anyway, you know, quenching the violence of fire, and we're familiar with, with the story. Escape the edge of the sword, David, and with, with uh, Saul. Uh, out, of the weak, out of weakness was made strong. We could think, for example, of Sarah. You know, she was weak in uh, the ability to bear a child, and God uh, enabled her to. So maybe it's speaking of Sarah. Maybe it's speaking of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was sick, remember? Prayed to God. God gave him another 15 years. So he had another 15 years of life. Uh, waxed valiant in fight. Uh, King Asa. Uh, Hezekiah, perhaps. It was these individuals. Turned to flight the army, armies of the enemy. Joshua. Uh, you know, you could... Gideon. I mean, you, you could put a lot of people in here uh, that these people did what they did through faith. Trusting in God uh, to work with them. Then verse 35, uh, women received their dead raised to life again. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Now, women received their dead to life again. The widow of Zarephath's son, Elisha, and the Sunamite woman would be examples uh, of that. But what we have, and it really starts in the end of verse 35, but picks up in verse 36. Uh, at this point, you have a major change. See, up to this point, everything is great victories, right? Uh, how they just, uh, through God, uh, had great victories in their walk with God. It could be militarily, it could be miraculously, and God providing for them. Uh, whatever the case might be. But now, and again, the end of verse 35, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Have you ever thought of the possibility that you could be tortured one day? Uh, if that torturer offered you uh, a way out, hey, all you have to do is renounce the Lord. You know, just say, uh, I believe in Allah. And, and we won't do this anymore, and you can leave. What would you do? I hope 
you would not do what they asked you to do. Well, in biblical times, they didn't. And then when we come down to verse 36, others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. Now, trials of mockings and scourgings, bonds, imprisonments, Jeremiah would be one that would come to mind. And so even in the time of difficulties of life, faith gets us through that difficulty. This is the negative side of life, but biblical faith doesn't let us down when difficulties come. In other words, God doesn't let us down. Verse 37. They were stoned. <clears throat> they were sawn asunder. They were tempted. They were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the earth, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. So even in the midst of all these, again, difficulties, evils that the world can throw at us, biblical faith will keep us. God will be there. Jesus is the same today, tomorrow, forever. Now, stoned, and again, some of these, we can only guess who it's talking about. Uh, Son Ascender is probably Isaiah. Jewish tradition says that Isaiah was sawed in half. Uh, he was supposedly put into a uh, hollowed out uh, tree trunk and uh, sawed in half. That's tradition that happened. Wandered about. Yeah, that could be Isaiah. That could be Jeremiah. That could be a number of people uh, destitute, afflicted, tormented, wandering. Uh, certainly many of those who are not named that took place through the, year, uh, through the years. Now, the world is not worthy to suffer for the Lord because their life is not given to the glory of God. Uh, and, and that's what it says in the very beginning of verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. You know, in, in Peter, I didn't, Second Peter, I think it is, um, it's a blessing uh, to suffer for the Lord. Uh, and, and when we come to that point, where we uh, may suffer for the Lord. You know, there is at that time a supernatural imparting of grace into our life. Now, God doesn't give us the grace to deal with whatever suffering might be coming until that suffering arrives. And then he can give you and will give you that grace. I don't know if you've ever read any of the uh, stories found in Fox's Book of Martyrs. You know, you know what I'm talking about? You should read it if you haven't. Uh, we may even have a copy in our library, I'm not sure. But what struck me is these people were thrown into prison in, by the Roman Catholic Church because of their uh, preaching the truth, standing on the, the biblical Jesus, not the Catholic Jesus. Uh, when many of them, when they were taken out to be burned, and when they were burned on the, at, the, at a stake, um, what, the, what the church would do, the Catholic church would do, is they would put green uh, limbs or, or you know, branches. Green branches 
do not burn well. They will burn, but not well. But if you wanted to uh, extend suffering from being burned at the stake, use green wood. So they would get it started, and it would smolder. It's kind of like you'd be cooked at 220 or whatever. I don't know. Never been burned at the stake. But what struck me about the testimonies was, as, that, as it would come, it's like oftentimes uh, they would just, they, they, there was a light, there was a, there was a grace that, that people saw that would just envelop their life, uh, that they could withstand it, uh, not even crying out in pain, uh, and just praising the Lord for it. Well, you think about that and say, I could never do that. Uh, well, you could never do that until you're in that situation. And then I think God gives you the grace. So don't superimpose uh, your life in any of these areas and, and say, I can't do it. See, there's, there's a supernatural element to faith. You have to believe. You have to believe the word of God. You have to act on it. But if you act on it, God will give you victory. And God will give you the grace to get through different things. So, you know, I, I think we need to in our life be prepared to, if we're tortured for our faith, uh, stay strong. But I also think there's that impartation of grace by God that you can look death uh, in its face as it will, look torture in its face and stay strong. That's what happened to these people. And this is a testimony to the God of the Word, the God of the Bible, the God of Israel, our God, enabling us to get through those difficult times. It may never happen in our, in our, you know, with us in, in this country. It happens all over the world. We don't know. So you have this major change at this point uh, from faith's great victories to the difficulties or the sufferings, and, and the same God who gives victories is, gives deliverance or grace to deal with the difficulty. But again, your or our responsibility is to believe the word, stay faithful, and in due time, God will give you that grace that you need to deal with whatever that issue is. Now, verse 39. <clears throat> the next four verses, 39, 40, and verses 1 and 2. There are four things, at least four things, to consider based on all that has come prior to this. Uh, certainly all that we find in Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 39 says this, And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. So these all are all these people that he has talked about in this chapter. And it, it covers a whole bunch of people. Now, and, and why it covers a whole bunch of people, because it talks about, uh, like in verse 36, and others. Well, how many are others? Multi multitudes. We don't know how many. Um, and what happened to them. The same with verse 37. They were stoned. Uh, verse 38, they. And so uh, there's a multitude of people who are being referenced here. And all these people obtained a good report 
through faith. These people received not the promise. Now, earlier in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, and if you want to look at your, at your Bible, because that's a little bit earlier than where we're at right now. It talks in the plural. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them, mean, meaning plural, more than one promise. They embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So this earlier verse is talking about a plurality of promises that, uh, yes, they didn't see. But here in verse 39, they received not the promise in the singular. Now, I, I think the promise here is the Messiah. It's the promised one of Israel. It's the promised Savior. Uh, certainly in uh, the earlier scriptures, there was an awareness that God was going to send a Redeemer. Uh, even a, a Messiah uh, in First Peter chapter 1, and I didn't put it down. Uh, it's talking about the prophets. But it says, let me see. I can't get there. There it is. Look at ver um, verse 10 and 11 of 1 Peter 1. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. The prophets, earlier scriptures. Who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what? Or what manner of time the spirit of Christ which was in them did signify. When it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ of the Messiah. And the glory that should follow. So the prophets, with the spirit of Christ in them. Uh, I am one who is convinced, by the way, just to digress for a moment, that uh, in the uh, earlier scriptures, in the Mosaic law period, the spirit of God did dwell in certain people. It's not that the spirit of God just came, came on them. You've probably heard that before. I mean, there's plenty of passages like that that says the Spirit of Christ in them. But the difference from today was an individual, not everybody, number one, had the Spirit of Christ in them. The prophets did. But they could also lose the Spirit of God. Not their salvation. There's a difference. David, remember when he sinned? Psalm 51, isn't it? Uh, and he prayed, Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit away from me. Well, he could lose, the, but he wouldn't lose his salvation. In this age, when we receive the Holy Spirit, he dwells within us. And we are sealed with the Spirit until, Ephesians tells us, the day of redemption. We, we cannot lose the Spirit of God. And every single believer is indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Not just preachers, not just special people, yes. How about... I think... It never says that King Saul had the... That I can recollect. That King Saul had the Spirit in him. 
it does tell us that King Saul had a new heart in, the, in chapter 10 of 1 Samuel. Now, in the previous chapter, chapter 9, uh, Samuel says to Saul, let the servants go on before us and stand still a while that I want to show thee the word of God. So he, in our vernacular, he wanted to witness or, or share the Lord with Saul. Now, we can only speculate what Samuel shared with Saul. He didn't, you know, he didn't, he only had probably the five books of Moses and Job. He didn't have a lot. It's not like us. You know, we have the whole canon of scripture, 66 books. So we can only speculate what he shared, but he did share with him. And we know from chapter 10, the result of that sharing. Because it says in verses 9 and 10 that Saul, when Saul, when, it's either when Saul turned his back to go from Samuel or, Samuel or the or reverse. But anyway, it says that God gave him, Saul, another heart. He was saved. If you get another, if you get another heart, he didn't get the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God. He got another heart. But it never says that I'm aware of that he ever got the spirit of Christ. I mean... He went bad from the beginning, almost from the initial moment after he was saved. You know, he gets saved in chapter 10, and by chapter 15, he's compromising of 1 Samuel. You know, when God tells him as king to kill all the Amalekites and, uh, and all of the animals and, and that type of thing. And, and so what does he do? He disobeys. And then he, he justifies it by saying, well, God, I kept all the good animals because you want me to sacrifice animals to you. You know, and, got, and that wasn't the best of responses. So it wasn't too long before he went astray. Uh, and ultimately, he would be sent a, a, a evil spirit from God. So did he ever have the spirit of God indwelling him, even temporarily, because it would have been of a... I don't know. It never says. David did. Others did. You know, that type of thing. Yes. So, once saved, once you get a new heart, that heart is not removed. That spiritual heart is not removed. And a murderer can be saved. Moses was a murderer. David was a murderer. Saul was a murderer. And they all came to know the Lord. Um, so, um, murderers do get saved. But it's, it's, I think it's the continuing tense in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. No, it's a lifestyle. You know, because it talks about all kinds of things. Well, people who do these things will never see the kingdom of God. Well, if their lifestyle is homosexual or murder or whatever, that marks them off as no, someone who's never been saved, uh, and thus they'll never see the kingdom of God. But murderers can be saved. Uh, homosexuals can be saved. Liars can be saved. Uh, we can be saved. <laughs> you know, we're, you know... Um, so, I, I really can't, yes, amen. I, I really can't give a definitive answer. My guess would be he, would, he was never, you know, is there, anything, is there any revelation in the Bible by King Saul, written revelation, scripture? No, I don't think, no. He's in scripture, 
know, he certainly is talked about a lot by scripture, but he didn't write that. And so when you look at first Peter chapter one, verse 10, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched, verse 11, spiritual water, what manner of time the spirit of Christ, which was in them did signify. So these were prophets who wrote the word of God, obviously, and in them was the spirit of Christ. That would not be Saul. So my guess is he did not, but I do, I do believe he was saved. And the difference again today, since Pentecost, is every believer has the indwelling spirit of Christ in him, and we have that until we meet the Lord, whether it's through death or the rapture. So um, that's the best answer I can give you, so my, my speculation would be, would be no. Um, so, the, so in the early scripture, they looked for the Messiah. And even though the prophets wrote about it and tried to understand it, and, and the first and second coming, you may not be at 1 Peter chapter 11. Listen to what it says. Uh, they searching what or what manner uh, when the spirit of Christ testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. The sufferings of Christ we know as what? What do we usually refer to that period? The passion, but the first coming of Christ. The, the glories to follow is what? The second coming. So the prophets wrote about the, 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 the sufferings of Christ. They also wrote about, wrote about the glories of Christ, the second coming as well. They had a very difficult time putting it together, is what it's saying. Um, but, they, but they knew of a Messiah. And if they tried to understand it, don't you think they taught the people of Israel? I, I you know, certainly, I, I think it's unquestionable that they would have imparted to the people the truth that God had given to them. Even though they didn't fully grasp it, they would have imparted it. Hey, you know, there, there's a Savior coming. There's a Redeemer coming. There's a Messiah coming, and, and he's going to suffer and, and die. Um, and then he, but he's going to reign too. And how do we work all this out? We're trying to figure it out, but we're not really sure, but it's going to happen. Well, in, in verse 39, they received not the promise. Now, what that tells me, um, all of these people in chapter 11, prior to this, have to be prior to Jesus. You know, when I was thinking about this and, um, in verse 38, they wandered in deserts. You know, who was the first one that came to my mind? John the Baptist. But, but, was, but did John the Baptist see the promise? Yeah. He's the one that said, behold the Lamb of God. There, you know, so, so I don't think it, the wanderer here can't be John. I, because it, what it says in verse 39, these all, all of these previous having obtained a good report through faith. So they were, they, they obtained a good report through faith, but they didn't receive the promise. They never saw the coming of the one that they knew God had promised, the Messiah. Well, again, but the first one, yeah, Elisha would certainly fit because he's uh, previous to Jesus. But Elisha was not the first one that came to my mind. Yeah, but, but the, the promise here is the Messiah. The promise here is, is, is nothing but the Messiah. 
It's not understanding his whole work and everything he did, meaning you have to live 33 years from the time he's born, that type of thing. Uh, so I think this just has to be those prior to the birth of Jesus, prior to the coming of Jesus, um, which would put it into the earlier scripture people. Um, so I don't think it's John the Baptist. Um, they received not the promise. So the testimony then from God of these people was they had done well. Uh, Hebrews 11.2, Matthew 25, 21 and 23 are some verses. Even though they had not received the, uh, the promises, that's plural, but the promise here is probably referring to the Messiah not coming during their lifetime. How much more if these people who only knew of the promise and couldn't put it all together, even the prophets struggled, how much more should we who have the indwelling Spirit of God have seen the coming of the Messiah? I know you haven't seen him with physical eyes. But 2,000 years ago, he came. That's the thought here. How much more should we be faithful? If all of these people did what they did, and that's what Hebrews chapter 11 is about, because they believed God, they trusted in God, even though they never saw to fruition the promise of the Messiah, they still even were willing to die or be scourged or wander or whatever the case might be, believing that God would do it. How much more should we be able to exhibit biblical faith? When you read all of these things in verses 37, 36 too, and uh, trial of cruel mockings, scourgings, bonds, imprisonments, they people were stoned, were sawn asunder, that's probably, you know, my guess is a number of these people, maybe the majority of these people, didn't have the indwelling Christ. They had a new heart. There's a difference between getting a new heart, salvation, and the dwelling spirit of God. And again, today, in the church age, starting with Pentecost, once you have a new heart, once you're saved, you automatically get the spirit of the Lord, and he doesn't leave you. Prior to the time, this time, earlier scripture, only selected individuals, prophets, generally, all they had was a new heart. But they didn't have the Spirit of God to empower them. Now their life was changed because they had a new heart, a circumcised heart, but they didn't have the Spirit of God to empower them. We have the new heart. We have the Spirit of God. We have the whole revelation of God. We have history that we know Jesus came into the world. Bob, did you want to say something or ask something? He, he would fall into the earlier people. Uh, he probably had the spirit of Christ because he wrote scripture. Uh, a, a prophet is someone who is just speaks for God. You know, a, a prophet is one who represents God and speaks to the people. A priest is one who represents the people before God. So, um, Daniel, for example, in the Jewish world is not looked at as a prophet. Um, 
he's looked at as a, his book, especially is looked at as a history book. But did was but was he indwelt by the Spirit of God? Did he give prophecies? Well, just read the book of Daniel. He gave a whole bunch of them. So Job, I think, you know, to write Scripture, you would you would have the indwelling Christ. Yes, but it could be temporary, like with David, that type of thing. We are so much more blessed in, in, in the world we live in today with all the advantages that we had that they didn't have. Shame on us if we can't be like them. And that's what Hebrews 11 challenges us with. They never saw the Messiah. They knew it was coming. They, they believed God. They believed the word of God. Most of them did not have the indwelling Christ. They certainly did not have full revelation, meaning the entire word of God. And yet, these people obtained a good report. In other words, God said, well done. Well done. Because they believed the word of God, and they acted on it towards victory or through difficulties. We certainly should be able to do the same thing. Now, verses 1 and 2. Is this not working? It's green. Um, it was okay. Yeah. Um, okay. I'll put it right here. So, okay. Maybe not being in my pocket, it'll it'll be better. So, now when we get into verses one and two, we're going to see what we need to do to be victorious. And that's why I put one and two down here. But before we get to one and two, so the the first thing to consider is that these earlier believers who never saw the coming of Messiah were extremely faithful and received a good report from God. How much more then should we who have seen the Messiah, and again, I don't mean with our eyes, but he came 2,000 years ago, and we have the, all of us have the indwelling spirit, walk with God, that God would say to us, hey, I'm giving you a good report. I remember when I was in, in, in grade school. Uh, you, know, you, know, you know the Jewish stick, right? There, there's a, there was a line, maybe there still is, of Jewish greeting cards. I think it was called Rabbi Rosenberg cards or whatever. And so whether you, when someone had, the, had a, a child born, girl or boy, it didn't matter. Uh, on the outside of, of, the, of the card, it said uh, something like, Mazel Tov, congratulations on the birth of your son, or congratulations on the birth of your daughter. And then you open it up to the inside, and it says, so what's he, or she, what's he going to be, a doctor or a lawyer? That's the Jewish mindset. Um, when I was born, it was not a question of my going to college. That was a given. It was, you need to study Harvard, Yale, MIT, because that's where you need to go. I won't tell you where I went. But anyway, <laughs> so I had this fear of not getting a good report. You know, when they sent that report card home with you, the teachers, you know, and you, you, got, you tried to change the grade. You know, D's could easily be made into a B, you know, that type of thing. 
I never did that. I didn't. I don't think I did it. Anyway, man, was that a nervous time for me? I don't know. Maybe it wasn't for you. Don't you want a good report from God? At least to see. <laughs> no failing marks here. So, well, you got to exercise biblical faith. Okay, that's the first thing. Secondly, verse forty. God having provided some better things for us, this is the last verse of chapter 11, God having provided some better things for us, that they, without us, should not be made perfect. Now the us here are believers in the church age. And, and in the context, he is speaking to, uh, remember this is the book of Hebrews to Jewish professing and uh, possessing believers. But by uh, application, certainly it's to all believers. God having provided some better things for us. So right off he tells us, you know, we have some better things than they have. Which I've mentioned a number of the better things that we do have. Then it says this, that they, the earlier saints, Abraham, Sarah, David, all those that are mentioned in chapter 11, that they, without us, should not be made perfect. That's, in a, in a sense, mind-boggling. You know, without us, they wouldn't be made perfect. Now, the emphasis, even though it reads this way, is really not on us. But us being the believers in the church age, those who are in Christ, what brings us to perfection? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the better thing. God having provided some better thing for us. Now, uh, this whole epistle, this whole letter, this whole book of Hebrews is how Jesus is so much better. Chapter 1, angels. Chapter 2, Moses. Chapter 3, the priesthood. Chapter 5 through 7 talks about the Melchizedek priesthood being better than the Levitical priesthood. Chapter 8, the new covenant that Jesus instituted, better than the old covenant, the Mosaic. The whole book is showing how much better Jesus is than all the good things in the old economy, in the Mosaic law, that the Jewish people revered. God having provided some better thing, that better thing is what Jesus has done for us. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, we have the promise, of those of us who put our trust in him, of glorification. And we've looked at that before. Um, Romans goes into that. Condemnation, justification, sanctification, glorification. It's a promise that God has made that he will save us, Sanctify us, glorify us one day, take us to heaven. 
So God, having provided some better thing for us, what Jesus has done for us, that they, uh, the Old Testament believers, without us, would never be made perfect. In other words, Jesus had to come and die and resurrect. And all of us would have to come to know him, the church age of believers, and we will be glorified, and because of what Jesus has done, they as well will be glorified one day. Now, the us is the church. Call that once, believers. And both the church and earlier saints were made perfect positionally at the death of Jesus. <clears throat> but practically at the resurrection. Do you feel perfect today? Good. Because if I'm perfect today, I've, I'm very disappointed. So, no. None of us should feel perfect today. You know, hey, you were here last week. You know, I, somebody walking down the middle of this thing with a cake singing happy birthday, and I'm looking around, whose birthday is it? That was my first thought. Oh, it's my birthday. I told Cheryl, I, I couldn't figure out who it was. And I hit the big... Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and I feel every moment of those seventy. Anyway, there's something better coming. Anyway. Where was I in reading this? Uh, so practically, positionally, not practically, but positionally, we're seated in the heavenlies, right, Ephesians? But practically, when will that happen? At the rapture? When we get, a, and not even at our death, although absent from the body is present with the Lord, but our body remains in the grave and our spirit and soul go to heaven, but when does our body get resurrected? Uh, at the, the rapture, and that's what it's talking about. And, and so, um, what it's talking about when we'll be made perfect, practically, actually, is ultimately at the rapture. But it also talks about that this has to be done, so the old, the earlier scripture, saints, I almost slipped, um, they could be made perfect, practically, as well. So, God's plan all along was that the coming of Messiah, there would be those in Christ who would be part of the resurrection. Believers before Messiah came would not be resurrected until the church was born and resurrected via the rapture. Now, look at 1 Corinthians 15, 21 through 24. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, everybody dies. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order. Now, now underline that, at least in your mind. This is talking about the resurrection. In Christ, all will be made alive. Now, that doesn't mean everybody died in Adam, yes. But you have to be in Christ to be made alive, to be resurrected. But Every man in his own order. So there is a order to the resurrection. 
There's not just one general resurrection at the end of days, the end of time, whenever that might be. Uh, that's what postmillennialism teaches. That's what amillennialism teaches. There's an order to the resurrection. What's the order? Christ, the first fruits. The first resurrected person was Jesus. The first fruits, which is that Jewish festival, is a promise of a greater harvest to come. Falls right around the time of Passover. Christ resurrecting from the dead was a promise that there'll be a greater harvest, greater resurrection in the future. That resurrection will, will entail everybody who's got a new heart, who's been saved. Christ the first fruits. Afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all the rule and authority and power. So every man in his own. Here's the order of resurrection, okay? First century, Jesus. He's the first fruits. Afterwards, they that are Christ at his coming. Now, before you look at the notes, when Christ comes, um, how, how should I word this? How many times is he coming? So one and one is two. <laughs> yes, twice. He's coming twice. The first time, as Tom said correctly, he's coming in the air. Who's he coming for? The church. So before the tribulation period, remember Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, uh, in order, the first resurrected people will be the church saints. Church age saints. There's a bunch of scriptures here that you can look at. You know, 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, the dead in Christ shall rise, first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the air to be with us. You know, so so the, the first part of the resurrection, the first order of the resurrection after Jesus is prior to the tribulation period when the church is resurrected and we get new bodies. If Jesus would come in the heavens right now, and the trumpet would blow. You want to blow the trumpet, Bob? Maybe it'll work. I don't know. But so far, we would leave our bodies. We would go to heaven. We would meet Jesus in the air, and we'd go back to the Father's house. That's the first part of the resurrection. Turn the page over, or go to the third page, actually. The second stage is the end of the tribulation period. Now, what happens at the end of the tribulation? Well, there's a lot of things that happen at the end of the tribulation period. But what is, other than the resurrection that you have, what, what happens, what does Jesus do at the end of the tribulation period? Let me put it. He comes again, right? He came prior to the tribulation, but didn't come all over the earth. End of the tribulation, now he comes. Um, because again, remember what it said in, in 1 Corinthians? Um, <clears throat> Every man is own order, Christ, afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. So who are Christ? Everybody who's a believer. Prior to Jesus, church age, 
what other period of time would we be considering on resurrection then? Well, that's prior to Christ. That's, you know, that's earlier belief. That's Old Testament saints. We, we'll use that term. And we have church-age saints, which then you, if you want to call Old Testament saints, you'd call the church-age saints what? New Testament saints. You know, I don't like those terms because they're erroneously used, but regardless. What other believers are going to be deal, dealt with? Tribulation saints. So at the end of the tribulation... You have the resurrected old. I, I thought I changed that. Do you have Old Testament saints there? Boy, that's a, that's a bad error. But anyway, okay. The earlier scripture saints. And then you also have at the end of the tribulation period, the resurrected martyred tribulation saints. Because what happens to those saints that make it to the end of the tribulation they go into the kingdom, the millennial kingdom, in natural bodies. They don't get the resurrected bodies. So there, is, there it is at Christ's coming. And, and then in, in, in point number four, uh, you, what about the millennium saints? Are they, when they, if they would die as a believer in the millennium, are they resurrected then? Are they resurrected after the millennium? What about them? The Bible doesn't tell us. That's all speculation. The, the whole point of, of verse 40 is God knew all along that Jesus had to come, and without us, the church, not because of us being good, it's because of what Christ has done, that way both us and them will be resurrected. So we have something better promised to us. That is that we are in Christ. Um, God has provided the Messiah for us, not that he didn't provide for them, but because of Christ, we will all be made perfect one day. Now, verse 1 of chapter 12 starts out this way. Wherefore, no, you, could, you could put therefore, just like wherefore. Whenever you have, you've heard this before, whenever you have a therefore in Scripture, what do you need to do? You need to back up to see what it's there for. So, okay. I remember I preached in a church in Israel years ago. And it was being interpreted into Hebrew and Russian. But the pastor was right next to me. And, I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and in English, it works. You know, if you, if, the, if you have a therefore in Scripture, you need to back up to see what it's there for. And I turned to him and I said, does that, does that communicate in Hebrew? He said, just go on. <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. Dan, does that communicate in Hebrew? I didn't think so. Okay. But it works well in English. So, Well, the English is the inspired version. You know how that is anyway. So, no, just kidding. <laughs> Let's not go down that path. Okay. So, therefore, or wherefore... In other words, because of what preceded this. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, don't think that there are Old Testament, earlier believers, pre-Jesus believers, sitting on clouds and looking down and saying, I looked at Kim and Sandra, 
I can't believe that they're doing what they're doing. And you got David up there and Isaiah up there and mom and dad up there, whoever you got up there, and they're looking down and said, man, oh man, I thought I taught a better than... No, nobody's sitting on the... Cl- I've, have you ever heard that taught? Yeah, that's not what it's talking about. Believers have plenty to do in the kingdom, in heaven, and sit on a cloud watching us. Believe me, they don't want to watch us. When you, when you can talk to David, when you can talk to Isaiah, when you can talk to Paul, when you can visit with Jesus, why do you want to watch us? No, they're not watching us. No, th- there's this huge number is what it's saying. We are, we are surrounded with so great a cloud. Uh, if you were in the middle of a cloud, I mean, you were just engulfed by it, right? That's what the thought is. We are, we are just compassed around about with such a great cloud of witnesses. Many, many people testify to the faithfulness of God of what have, they have done. Not just those we've read earlier, but remember the they's. There's many, many more people. So the testimony of people who have gone before us. And again, we can extrapolate this to the last 2,000 years. You know, have you ever read uh, the um, biography, for example, of George Mueller? You should. George Mueller, it wasn't at Bristol, England, that he was, and uh, he uh, he had talk about trusting God. He ran orphanages, and 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 he had sometimes he had hundreds, maybe thousands of of children to feed. He did it all by trusting in God. By faith. And you read his story, and, and he has 200 kids to feed breakfast to. And he doesn't have any food. And they say, we're going to pray. God's going to provide breakfast. And the milkman just started on his deliveries, I guess with cheese and everything, and breaks down right in front of the orphanage. So he knocks on the door. He says, my vehicle is broken down. He said, I got all these eggs and cheese and and milk. And he said, it's a hot day. I I can't do anything with it. It's going to spoil in this heat. Would you like it? It's free. Wow. Things like that. Amen. So, you know, George Mueller. And um, uh, there's there's all kinds of stories about these men and women of faith that we have uh, since then. So we are challenged. If they could do it, why can't we do it? Do they have a different God? No. So we are surrounded with a great cloud of witnesses. So this is what we need to do. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. The testimony. Third point. To consider the testimony of these challenges witnesses us to put aside whatever prevents us from serving him and being faithful. They were faithful. They got through all kinds of things. Why can't we do the same thing. 
Faithful believers of, of past challenge us to live for the Lord. Yeah. When it says uh, we are we are so we are compassed also about with so great a cloud of witnesses, witnesses there is a, is the Greek word martus. What what is the English word that comes from that Greek word? Martyr. What is a martyr? Yeah, but for some martyr is someone who 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 suffers or, or dies for what he believes. We are to be martyrs. It's the same word that's used in Acts 1.8. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be martyrs, witnesses. Unto me, Jesus says, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and unto the other most parts of it. We should be willing to give up our life for Jesus. Martyrs. As some in the earlier scriptures did. So, we are challenged to put aside whatever might hinder us from serving the Lord. And notice the last part of the verse. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. The Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. We have to be run with patience. We all want it to be over tonight. Come Lord Jesus, right? It may not be over for five years or 10 years, 25 years. <laughs> Some of you here may actually see 70. Others, it's in your rearview mirror. But we don't, you know, we, we, however long it is, we don't know. We've got it. But, but if, you're, if you run a race, what does that imply? If you're, if you're in a race, there's then... No. No, there's, there's prizes. There's rewards. Now, there, God promises us rewards. We're running a race. And the scripture is replete with passages that tell us that there are rewards for us if we run the race with patience, faithfully, trusting God. 2 John 8 says this, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, that we have earned, but that we receive a full reward. Be careful. Don't lose those things which you've already earned. Rewards. Not your salvation. Be careful that you receive a full reward. To receive a full reward, we have to put aside every sin that easily besets us, every weight, and we have to run the race with patience that God has set before us to get a full reward. 2 Peter chapter 1 is, I love this chapter. Look at verse 1. Simon Peter, servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained the like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's speaking to believers. Simon Peter is speaking to those who have, have obtained, past tense, become a believer, have obtained like precious faith with us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
He's talking to believers. Verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied unto you, believer. Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And as believers then, God's divine power, verse 3, has given us at least a couple of things. Number one, all kinds of promises. Whereby are given unto us, verse 4, exceeding great and precious promises. We have all kinds of promises given to us by God. His divine power, God himself, has given us all kinds of promise. If, if God has promised something to us, all we have to do is reach out and claim it, right? And it's ours. But if you don't know that there's a promise out there to claim, how are you going to grasp it? You won't, because you're ignorant. So how are you going to learn what promises belong to you? That's where faith comes in, the Bible. Then it says, verse 4, the end of it, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through us. See, we, not only do we get all kinds of promises, God has given us divine nature. That's the new heart. That's the circumcised heart. That tugs us in a godly direction. Unsaved people only have one nature, sinful nature. We have, still, believers do, the sinful nature, but when we're saved, we have a divine nature. And that divine nature which God has given to us, believers, uh, pulls us in a godly direction. So we're given all kinds of promises. We're given the Holy Spirit, a divine nature, um, and so on. And then in verse 5 it says, and beside this, or literally alongside this. Alongside what? Uh, as a result of your faith, God has given to you all kinds of promises, and he's given you a new nature, a new heart, divine nature. So alongside all of this, giving all diligence, here's what you need to do. You need to add to your faith virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. We need to work on all those things. We need to add that to our faith. We're saved. That's something we have to work on. God gives us the ability. God gives us the promises. God gives us the divine nature. He gives us with his divine power the indwelling Holy Spirit. And then verse 8, For if these things be in you, not the Holy Spirit, not the divine promises, not the divine nature, because that is what God gives to every believer, but if these things be in you, Diligence, uh, not diligence, uh, virtue, knowledge, seven different things. And you've got to be all diligent in doing it. If these things be in you and abound, you've got to abound in virtuousness. You've got to abound in knowledge, understanding who God is, what the Bible says, in temperance and patience and so on. If these things be in you and abound, they make you 
that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 11. And you know what will eventually happen? For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, all these people before us, all these, this, these witnesses before us, these multitudes of people before us who were faithful and received a good report challenges us. Put aside whatever you need to put aside and walk with God and, and live godly and do all of these things in, in your life. And you know what? When you ultimately die or Jesus comes, you're going to be entered into heaven uh, with an abundance that you can't believe. You're going to roll out the red carpet. They're going to have the angels with, tr with, with, with the trumpets on the side of the road. And they're going to be playing um, whatever they're playing. I don't know what they're playing. And you're going to walk down the middle of that road and, and just the confetti is flying, you know, and all of this type of thing. Um, well, don't you want an entrance into heaven like that? David had a good report. Abraham, we can have the same thing. But we've got to put aside these things. And then what do we need to do? It's not just putting aside. It's not laying aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us in running the race. Uh, put those aside, yes. But, it, but if you don't replace that with something, you're going to fall right back to that problem. Verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. Focus on Jesus. Put these things aside. Get rid of these things. Run the race. And, and when you run the race, the focus has to be on Jesus. Looking onto is Afraho. Literally, it means to turn your eyes away from other things and focus steadfastly on something else. Turn your eyes away from what that sin is that easily besets you. And every weight that could load you down that you won't run the race. And focus intently on Jesus as your goal in life. Focus on him. Jesus who is, turn the page over, the author. He's the leader. He's our example. He's the author of our faith. He's the finisher of our faith. He is the one who will perfect it, our faith. He is the one who will glorify us. It's through the work of Jesus, in other words, justification, sanctification, glorification, who begins and, I don't know why that runs together, and ends our life of faith. If you want to be like Abraham, Abel, David, Sarah, Gideon, Samson, all those names, you've got to be willing to set aside that that is causing you to stumble but what you must do then is focus on Jesus. 
set everything else aside and focus intently on him who started your faith, who continues your faith, who is the finisher of your faith. And then consider who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. When you think of the word endure, what comes to mind? Are you ha- when, you, when you're enduring something, pain, pain. yeah. Well, you know, if you've ever had may I, cancer, and Tom's had cancer, right, Tom? And you go for radiation treatment. Have you you've been, to, right? I've never had cancer, never been to radiation. Some of us may have, say, you endure, you, you, do you, is that your most joyful time of the day? No. Now, I know we have different opinions here on radiation and that, but the point is you endure the radiation thinking at the end it's going to be a lot better for you. Jesus endured the cross. He didn't look forward to it. Remember he said, what did he say in the garden? Lord, Father, if there's any other way, any other way, take this cup from me. No, he, he endured the cross. He put up with the shame and the agony and all that for the joy that was set before him. Victory, especially in trials of life, comes through our hope of the future. What do you think, I don't even have it down here, what do you think the joy that was set before Jesus? How, what, he endured the cross, yes. What was the joy that enabled him to endure the cross? All, all the children of God, that I would think certainly would be one possibility. Whose exaltation? Yeah, well, and how would he be exalt, exalted? By his resurrection. He endured the cross because he knew the grave wasn't the end of the story. He knew that he would come out of the grave. And the end result of coming out of the grave would be that there'd be many sons and daughters that would ultimately get to heaven. I, I think the, the, the joy that was set before him are, are t- is twofold. The resurrection and the result of the resurrection. So Jesus endured the cross because he knew the other side of this whole story was his resurrection. And the other side of the resurrection was that Abraham, David, Isaiah, Micah, us, lots of people, Job, would one day be glorified. He endured the cross for the victory that he knew laid ahead, the hope of the future. When we go through trials, even if it comes to the point of death, and when you read, if you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, why could these people rejoice when they're being burned at the stake? Because they knew what the end result was. They knew where they were going. The hope of the future is something believers have that nobody else has with a surety. Philippians 3, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before. 
I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to forget what's behind. I'm going to run the race. I'm going to earn that reward. I'm going to honor my Savior in my life. And I'm going to despise the shame. Jesus despised the shame. Didn't matter to him. He was committed to the process. Later on in Philippians, verses 17 through 21, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. There are those who have turned back. They really weren't saved. Whose end is destruction. Whose God is their belly. Whose glory is in their shame. Who mind earthly things. They're not believers. They may have one time said they were, but they're not. But then verse 20. For our conversation. Now understand, conversation is polyuma. Politics. Community. That's what comes from that. Citizenship. That's the Greek word. It's not how you talk. For our citizenship, our politics, is it democratic? Is it republican? It's heavenly. That's where our focus is. For our community, our politics, our citizenship is in heaven. From where also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. We have to be committed to the process. Jesus was. So he was able to endure the cross. He despised the shame because knew, he knew at the end he would be resurrected, bring many children to glory, and he himself would be there as well. As believers, our end is secure. And we are told in verse 2 of Hebrews 12, Jesus is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's the reward of a task completed. And God says he will not be unrighteous to forget your work and your labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. We need to set aside whatever is besetting us, but that's not enough. Focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. When you go through trials, endure them, and you endure them because you have a hope of the future. You'll despise whatever shame it might be, and so we always have to, you know, somebody said, you can be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. That's a bunch of hogwash. You know, that's a good kosher word. Um, hogwash. You know, if you're not heavenly minded, you're not any earthly good. No, we need to be as heavenly minded as we can be to be earthly good. We have to focus on Jesus. We have to focus on our future. And if we do that, we can live for the Lord and be victorious no matter what comes. But we need to put aside that sin, focus on Jesus, and endure. And we've got this whole cloud of witnesses that have gone on before us. 
And in the last 2,000 years, that whole cloud of witnesses has increased by many, many people. Maybe your mom, maybe your dad, maybe your grandparents. Let's be men and women of God and receive a good report. Let's pray. Father, you are faithful. Help us to be faithful. You are a rewarder of those that diligently seek you. Lord, we can have victory in our life, just like these men and women of Hebrews 11 did. We can as well. And Lord, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12 just kind of put it all together. And our example is Jesus. So help us to focus on him. Looking on to Jesus, away from everything else, to Jesus. Not to worry about our spouse, not to worry about our pastor, not to worry about the person in the pew next to us. People will let us down. But Jesus will not. Thank you, Lord. Bless our fellowship, bless the food, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries, thanking you for listening to our Bible study. These Jewish Awareness podcasts are a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. If you have questions about the study that you just listened to, or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org, email us at office at jewishawareness.org, or call us at 919-275-4477. Shalom.